G'day everyone, Jess here. Welcome to the show for this week. This is episode 224 and today I have a lovely interview for you with Christine Tenenholtz, um, formerly of Red Hot Pottery, now uh, C. Tenenholtz Ceramics. She has been making and selling her ceramics full-time since at least 1996. So she has seen a lot of evolution in the handmade industry over that time, and she's still going strong. Been selling on Etsy for well over a decade now and on her own website. So we talk about that. We talk about her history. We talk about the evolution of the handmade industry and Etsy over the last decades and uh, what she's got planned for the future and her tips for being a successful long-term full-time maker. Uh, I absolutely loved chatting with Christine. This was a really fun and long interview. It's like about an hour because we just had so much to talk about. And uh, I really hope you enjoy it and it gives you a little bit of uh, inspiration and uplift in these very difficult times that we are all facing right now. I hope you're doing okay out there. I hope you're taking care of yourselves and those you love. And uh, we will all get through this together. Hope you enjoy this episode. And if you enjoy it, please do share it with your communities. Uh, I think we all can all use all the inspiration we can get right now. So uh, if you're listening on Spotify, you can just press the share button to share it on your Instagram stories. Otherwise, take a screenshot and just share that on your Instagram stories or on your Facebook or share the podcast in Facebook groups. That's been a really great way that a lot of people have found this podcast is that you, my lovely listeners, have gone, hey, check this out. This might be something you will find useful and uh, in a Facebook group. So thank you to everybody who's done that and please do consider doing that. I would love to help more makers via this podcast, especially now. Thanks so much for listening and let's get on with the show. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Hey everyone, I am here today with Christine Tenenholtz, I hope I said that right, Um, from, well, it's now Tenenholtz Pottery, is it? It's actually my first initial C. And then Tenenholtz Ceramics is kind of my current online persona at the moment. Excellent. And the reason I said this is because you used to be Red Hot Pottery, which is what I've known you as for many, many years, because I bought something from you like a decade (laughs) ago. Um, So you've made a move. Uh, I would love to talk about that. But before we talk about that, can you let us into the history of how you came to get into ceramics? Yes. Hi, everybody. I would, I, I became um, a hobby potter as uh, right after I finished um, my art degree, which I, I got an art degree with fine art photography as my focus, and then um, moved out of the parents' house and started going to a little community studio and studying, you know, just as a hobby. And I got obsessed, of course. So I continued um, taking classes at the community college and we'd have these end of the year sales. And I thought, how much stuff can I make that I can sell at the end of the year sale? 
because I don't want to keep all this stuff. And and I like I like looking at it that way. Like, oh, I'm making these mugs, and you know, if I make them just a little bit bigger, you know, they'd be more useful. So I'm going to start making them a little bigger. And and how many can we get in the kiln? And what glazes should I do? Well, I want to change that. I want to, you know, I started. I just was automatically thinking kind of business like with regard mm-hmm. to clay because truly. I was just amassing all this stuff that I was making and I was just kind of like, well, I don't want to make all this stuff and keep it, you know? So it became a thing. And this was in the early nineties. This was probably 1992. And then I moved to Arizona and continued on. And I started to apprentice with uh, two different artisans there and got an idea of how, their businesses ran we were in a pretty touristy area so there was Mm -hmm. a mark it was sort of a built-in market and i was learning how they ran their businesses and sold to the local shops and one of the one of the artists actually owned a shop so yeah yeah, when i got pregnant with my son he just said just make whatever you can you know and sell it to the stores directly just do your own thing and just uh, you know you can rent my kiln or whatever and so Mm -hmm. it's like he kind of gave me a really wonderful opportunity and that was really the beginning of okay I'm in business you know Mm -hmm. Um, because I was pregnant so I wasn't really able to work for him full-time and and that was I so I had my son in 97 and then I continued to supply the local shops for I don't know, probably, well, I opened my own shop in 2004 and then closed that in 2006 when I got a divorce mm-hmm. and then started on Etsy and that became a thing. So yeah. it, that was, okay, so you just got the nutshell version of, you know, how to <laughs> Decades become, of history. <laughs> yeah, that was like, well, how quickly, <laughs> we don't want to dwell on this too long, you know, this is the boring <laughs> part of the discussion. But yeah, so it was, it was very organic and it was, you know, like living in a little hippie town and making pottery for these, you know, guys who had these studios and it was very low key and really very easy to fall into that as a career choice. Um, So speaking of that, is this, and has this been your full-time work for a long time? Yes. Mm Full-time work since, uh, well, it's been my only source of income since 1997. Prior to that, I was doing the, I was apprenticing and I was working as a, a cook in a, in a little, like a small inn. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after I had my son, I stopped working there as well. So yeah, this has been my only gig for 22 years or something, 23. Awesome. And I actually love that um, sort of evolution, you know, okay, well, you know, we, I sold other people's shops and I had my own shop and then um, I moved online. And are you exclusively online now or do you still do? No, I still wholesale. That's actually yeah. something that's very important to me to have diverse sources of sales um, so that if one dries up, and we'll, we'll get to that story later, um, <laughs> if one of them dries up, the others keep the boat afloat. Um, yes. <laughs> kind of, I, I learned, unfortunately, through a very difficult period that things like that are out of my control sometimes, especially mm-hmm. with selling online. And um, no matter how dependent you get on that income, it could, it could fall apart. So I'm committed now to continuing with my wholesale business in some different sectors of the retail markets. 
I don't do shows. I've never wanted to do shows, and I'm hoping mm -hmm. I can continue without doing them. Um, but I like, I just like working in my, you know, easy little schedule at home. I sometimes I work all night. Sometimes I don't. I don't. I work all weekend, or I'll take two days off and go do something in the middle of the week. Or, you know, I like having that organic lifestyle too, which is very suitable for me. Yeah. So the kind of freedom element of it is very high for you. Like that's really important. Oh, it's really important, especially when, so I closed my shop after I divorced from my former husband because I was going to be single parenting and he was traveling a lot. So mm -hmm. even though we were going to co-parent, I knew that having a shop and having to, and we had no family in that town where we live. Mm -hmm. So it would have just been like hiring childcare and never seeing my child. And I just didn't want that. So, um, working online just dovetailed so nicely with being a single mom working at home. Mm -hmm. So you was... have a studio at home. Yep. Yeah. Do you have your own kiln now? Guys? I have two kilns. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. I have a ba I have a big kiln and baby kiln. Yeah. Awesome. And do you, I'm curious, like, do you teach as well at all? I do not. And okay. that's probably a really good thing because I <laughs> I'm very, I, well, scheduling is probably one of my biggest challenges, time management. Mm. And if I, if I had to commit to something, you know, other than just a one-time event, it mm -hmm. would probably be pretty challenging for me to do. Yeah. So. I have this weird, I don't know if it's a personality quirk or whatever, but I find it very difficult to commit to anything that makes me do something at the same time every week, like having to be somewhere to teach yeah. a class or even attend a class. Mm -hmm. I could do it for like a month or so, yeah. but if it's like, if it's ongoing forever, I don't know, it's just something about that that bugs me. <laughs> there, I can, I can relate to that. And I also have, there's also a certain comfort in knowing there's something that's a regular thing, you know, like a lunch, yeah. a lunch date with a friend or whatever. But if it was, like having six people in the studio for a class every week, that would mean mm. the prep involved would, I would have to make sure, you know, and clean the studio and have the supplies ready and have, you know, have the kilns available for their work and, you know, and mm. adjust everything. And that I know that would, there'd be way too much uh, planning involved for me <laughs> when I have, an if I, if I ever have an assistant, you know, that would be the kind mm -hmm. of thing that they would, that's what I'd want the assistants to take care of because I'm already yeah. up to my eyeballs thinking about everything else. So. so do you do you or have you had an assistant in the past? When I had my little shop, I did have um, people who helped in the shop. And mm -hmm. then I also had, uh, well, my, my son and friends were my shippers during the holiday season um, mm -hmm. for all my online business. What, during a period of time, like when they were in high school, that was yeah. their that was their holiday job. So that's that's a bit. So like a real assistant? No, I have not done that yet. I need yeah. that. I was, was going to ask that. Has your son like pitched in and and learnt the craft or done parts of the business? No, well? he's he's just done that little bit of shipping, and um, he's not expressed any interest in going further. Although he's getting a business degree, and I do tell him occasionally, I'm like, well. At some point down the road, if you're ever in between jobs, you know, we could do, I'm sure, do something. But yeah, I'm sure he will do everything in his power to not work for mom, which is I love it. Like, fine. <laughs> totally fine. Do you think he was inspired by you, though, to, like, go into business? Well, the fact that he grew up with a mom in business? You know, 
interestingly enough, okay, so his father is a is a musician. He's a composer, a recording artist, and mm-hmm. he lives in Germany. But he was living in the states with us. But my, you know, we've all gone back and forth to Germany over the years, and there's, there's mm-hmm. a big connection there. And his, I probably shouldn't say this. Well, he learned by witnessing both of our lifestyle pros and cons you know the free the freedom aspect the unpredictable income aspect Mm -hmm. so um when now my son is he's a very very talented musician and he wanted he didn't want to study music as his main study so he Mm -hmm. actually went to, to study business and he keeps the music as a side thing because he did get a scholarship for school and he thought you know what and we both encouraged it we're like you don't know what you want to do for sure. Just get a business degree because yeah. it's <laughs> applicable to, you know, so many different fields. And his mm. focus right now is marketing. And he's like, yeah, I could, he, he's, he works in the hospitality industry, works at a resort right now. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, this is applicable to the, to the work that I do. You know, I could work in the marketing department or I could, or I could, you know, just market my own music and my DJing yeah. and whatever, you know? So we all agreed that, um, because he was interested in learning more about mm. how to self-promote and the psychology around marketing was very interesting to his personality. And he's a, mm. he's a very disciplined person. Um, so, you know, none of us argued with him. Like if he would have said, you know, I want to go, I want to go study underwater basket weaving. We'd be like, really? I, I would have <laughs> never imagined you would do a crafty, you know, kind of thing with your hands as your, as your study, you know? So, mm. Or if he, if he had said he wanted to go do laboratory science of some kind, you know, that would have mm. seemed kind of strange. So it made a lot of sense. And I think yeah. knowing us and seeing the things that were, you know, really good for us and really challenging for us also influenced his decision. You know, there were a lot yeah. of challenge. I mean, a lot of challenges, especially in the music industry. I mean, witnessing his yeah. dad um, be kind of at the mercy of the changes in the music industry that happened in the nineties and the early two thousands. You know, he, he used to sell actual CDs. That was, yeah, yeah. That was his thing. <laughs> and that changed in his lifetime, you know, yeah. and it was really hard on, on uh, my ex. It, it was really hard for him to adapt to the changes in his industry. I have to say. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Music's changed so much. Yeah. It really has. Um, even selling craft has changed. And so let's, yeah. let's talk about, we were talking about challenges. Let's, let's dive right into that. Um, what has been the biggest or one of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome so far in your 22, three years of business? Um, I would say the thing that it, that was really, really difficult to deal with was, you know, okay, so I started in Etsy in 2007 Mm-hmm. I had, I was very, of course, just very lucky to have had that platform to present my work online. I never wanted to set up a website on my own and hire web developers and do all that. So, you know, started on Etsy and bloggers were at the time looking for things to blog about. So they would yeah. find, you know, the, the point was to work on your photography, work on your imagery and make sure that blo- you had quality images that bloggers would want to repost about your work. Mm-hmm. And of course, quality work. And so I kind of learned to ride that and things started to really get rolling for a while. Etsy was structured differently, of course, at the time. And then 
over time, I started creating products for the market on Etsy. I had mm -hmm. um, made a yarn bowl at the request of a customer, and uh, the seconds, you know, I made, she wanted one, so I made three, and then the other two I sold on Etsy. Well, that turned into a huge thing. And um, other knitters, because Ravelry was starting, I don't know if you're familiar with Ravelry. Right, yeah. Ravelry was getting big, um, and so all these, all these yarn, you know, wool knitter, crochet people were on on Etsy as well and so they were buying you know the yarn bowl thing went crazy and then the uh today show Etsy partnered with the today show and put my product on the today show wow in 2010 and so it went you know it boomed so <clears> I got all this business and yarn bowls became a thing that potters made so the um the, it got a little more competitive people other potters were starting to make them in different sizes and shapes and styles and whatever and it became mm. its own category for of pottery that didn't exist before <laughs> like it just didn't exist so long story short a couple years go by i'm i'm pretty much making more than 50 percent of my living and i mean my living so we're talking a few thousand dollars a month of income just from yarn bowls and I was number, you know, I was all over the front page of search. I got, I didn't do any outside marketing at all. And then suddenly in 2015, that ended. And mm -hmm. I, my work, of course, the yarn bowl category was very, very saturated at the time. And, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of potters were making them, woodworkers were making them, people from the Far East were selling them. I mean, it was, it just turned into this crazy thing. And mine just, it just dropped off completely. And mm -hmm. it, it, I also experienced some personal um, heavy duty transition. I, I, my partner and I split up. It was a really emotional time for me. And then suddenly Etsy kind of dried up and I couldn't figure out why. And I, um, now, now I look back on it and go, well, in a, in a sense, it was a blessing because I'd still be cranking out hundreds of yarn bowls a month if I, and, and that was wonderful, but it wasn't as exciting as what I'm doing now. So, yeah, <laughs> but I, you know, suddenly I'm having to go in the forums and go, why is my SEO not working anymore? Why, what happened to the algorithm? Like, why are my items being not even found on page 15 of search? And mm -hmm. I couldn't get any answers. I couldn't figure it out. Some people were saying, you don't have 10 photos. You don't have the right words in your tags and your, and your titles. Um, are they in the wrong order? You have commas. You don't have commas. You have spaces. You don't have spaces. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, but all of this was working well. Like, what did mm -hmm. they do in 2015 to turn my stuff invisible? I still don't know. And mm. SEO people were saying, oh, no, you have to, you know, it was in these forum groups, and they were saying, no, you have to join, or you have to pay for ads, and then that'll help get views, and that will show value. The algorithm will say this, this listing has value. I mean, it was this crazy thing. Sorry if I'm rambling. Um, <laughs> it, it was extremely stressful. I was absolutely mm. panicked. And because I'd come to depend on the income, and it dropped off so quickly. So... As a result of that, I was determined to never depend on something that was so much out of my control, mm -hmm. like um, an online an online selling platform that has an algorithm that has no that didn't offer any support or any answers. There was no one I could call. 
Mm. You know, there was no one who would say, oh, this is what happened to your account. Like we can see here's where you were and here's, here's where you are now. And here's what we think you can do to become competitive again. And it was just, just horrific. So it took me two years to sort of get over it and just move on. Mm. And during that time, I bolstered up my wholesale, um, my wholesale accounts. Like I actually very, very luckily acquired a big account here in New Mexico that um, pretty much replaced that income for me. Mm-hmm. So, and I also started working really hard on my Instagram. Right. I just want to pause here. Your microphone is rubbing occasionally. Oh, no. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Just be aware of that. Um, I'll just make a note so I can cut this out. 2720. Okay. Cut. Uh, and then I'm just going to dive into uh, straight after what you just said. Okay. Okay. So you're saying that you don't, you still don't know what happened to Etsy. Um, now this is an issue that comes up a lot. Um, and has, I think over the, especially the last five years, because Etsy has changed their search algorithm so many times, and now they've moved to having like an AI style search algorithm that's, you know, learns as it goes sort of thing. Um, for those of you listening who want kind of the most recent updated stuff, if you're listening to this in 2020, I have a podcast on that that I actually actually worked with Etsy um, late last year, late 2019, and I have a whole episode on the, you know, the best practices right now for Etsy search. So you can go have a listen to that. It's also on my YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, a lot of those things you mentioned, it's, there's a lot of myths floating around as to, you know, the stuff that's important versus the stuff that's not important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and it does change. It has changed since then as well. Like the things that they've, um, that, that has affected your search rankings and stuff like that. Like the whole, you need 10 pictures. You don't need 10 pictures. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't affect directly affect your search rankings. What it affects is the likelihood people are going to buy from you. And the more people who buy a listing, the better it ranks in search. So when people buy something, it moves higher and higher up the search algorithm. So that is kind of a, you know, it's like a sort of sideways way of, of yeah, hopefully like increasing a, your search. It's, it's, a second, <laughs> it's a secondary benefit of the sale. Yeah. 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 And this, the other thing that was very strange for me is the two products that I was actually making my living from were mugs and, and uh, yarn bowls. And those were the ones that uh, where my work became invisible. My other work that I was selling on Etsy um, that did not become invisible was my garlic graters. Those uh, stayed on the front page of their search mm. results. So this also troubled me very, very much because I thought mm. this makes no sense why. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I could imagine is those were much more competitive um, uh, categories that yeah. so they're going to have different criteria to keep search. But that was also during the time when one person could have 10 listings on the front page of search. Yes. And if you weren't that person, um, you might be just out of luck. Yeah, and I think there might have been something, I mean, it's been so many years and they've made so many changes that I'm not sure about this, but I know there was a period there somewhere that they sort of tried to promote new people, like Mm, by mm -hmm. boosting their search results and stuff like that. So I don't know whether that had some impact as well. Um, I had something similar happen probably about two years ago, my bestseller that had been my bestseller for 
years just kind of dried up for a while like mm. it just wasn't mm-hmm. making sales and I'm like I haven't changed anything I don't know <laughs> it's kind of picked back up again now but it's not reached the heights that it once had so mm. it's all very interesting how a small you know well either no change that you make but a change that they make um yeah and and this is this is true you know no matter what like if you're just selling on like a shopify shop or a wordpress or whatever it's the changes google makes you know people are google right. searching for you or whatever they'll make changes that'll affect you and it's that's why it's like one of those things that you can't necessarily set and forget forever but at the same time you know there's best practices and there's only so much you can do to try to rank well using those best practices so it's a bit it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mystery there's a bit of magic there that i think nobody really quite understands except the people who actually make the algorithm and of course they don't tell us yeah and and honestly i mean it can't work um amazingly for everyone for extended periods of time it's just not built to do that and that Mm. that's impossible i mean there are thousands and thousands of people competing for that front page so um it is bound to change and as a result of this experience for me it really led me to look at my business much more like a business like Mm. like as if i had a team of managers you know we have the marketing manager we have production manager we have maintenance we have you know who knows and (laughs) <laughs> and you'd say you'd have your you know weekly uh, status meetings and say well how are things going for you and and so the person in marketing would say well I don't know why you know my my marketing isn't working anymore we're not getting to okay then change it do whatever you have to do <laughs> you know yeah and then if you find out that's still not working then say okay well can we get the other sectors to take over right now and okay we're going to have to do that because we don't know why this isn't working we haven't found something else to replace it with. So um, we're going to drown if we don't keep this boat afloat. So what do we do? Mm. You know, and so it really got me to look at like, well, um, I'm doing a lot of airport retail, which is its own world of retail. And but to my way of thinking, a lot of brick and mortar shops are at risk right now in the world. Mm. You know, boutiques and galleries are a very risky thing to get involved in, but airport retail is more stable in my in my way of thinking because people do like to shop in airports. And air, until airport retail ends, like due to some sort of regulations or something, <laughs> um, it's probably a little more stable than other brick and mortar retail. So mm. I just got really lucky that they were the local retailer for our little Albuquerque airport happened to be having an open kind of an open casting um, about a month after I started looking into it. So I was able Mm. to, I was able to meet with them and get through their uh, buy, get through to the buyers pretty easily with some of the products that I make specifically for retail. Um, Man, that's not even a market that has ever even crossed my mind. Like, but it makes sense, especially if you live in a tourist area, which I do as well. Yes, because um, people are coming there to, you know, as tourists, and then they're leaving, and they're like, "Oh, I haven't bought a souvenir. What is Exi- there at the airport shop?" Or a gift? Or yes, yes. Um, so I, you know, while I was living in Sedona, I designed the garlic grater to be something that people could buy in, you know 
by three or four at a time and they could still mm-hmm. put in their suitcase. So I wanted them to be stackable. I wanted them to be something that I could repeatedly make because, you know, I know you make jewelry. So, you know, making something out of clay that often, you know, it's breakable, it's risky. People don't want to take it on the plane. So I was like, no, I need to design a product for tourists to take that mm, is and it's so unique unique yeah it's totally unique from what the other ones that are out there and it's got the the town stamped on the back that it was made there yeah. you know so <laughs> kind of approaching business like well what are the other markets where people do want handmade product and um tourism retail is it, it, i think if you live even remotely close to a touristy area or or if you can ship to one um, that's a market and I, I think it's worthy, you know, even if it's not airport retail, just, uh, mm. gift galleries in that, in a touristy area. Um, yeah. Now I love what you said about, and I think this is a really important point, especially for beginners in business is that you're thinking about how you can make a particular product for a particular market and a particular situation. Like you're not just, oh, I'm just going to go in the studio and make whatever I feel like today, which you can do and I'm sure you do as well. But you actually, when you're thinking about product development, you actually have to think about product development and put your business hat on and go, Absolutely. You know, what can I make that's unique, that's you know going to stand out, that's right for my market. And even the practical things like you said, oh, they put it in their suitcase and you know they don't want it to break. Um, for me, it's I'm I try to make my jewelry so it can flat pack under mm-hmm. two centimeters height so it can go as a letter in the post instead of a parcel and that saves me like 10 15 dollars on shipping that I can then pass that it saves to my customer. The, yeah the customer saves that. I can afford to do free shipping whereas right. if I was selling parcels I couldn't so things like that yeah um, are so important if you want to grow a sustainable business I couldn't agree more and I think more crafters and artisans um, would do really well to kind of approach at least one side of their business. Like, okay, I really love to make these things because it makes my heart happy to make them, of course. But then also to say, but if I want to make a living and quit my day job, then what are ways that I could make a, a more sustainable business out of this passion I have for making whatever it is that I'm making? You know, if you make stained glass or if you, you know, jewelry or clay or little um, fabric. I love buying fabric zip pouches for people because they make such great, oh, so great. they make such great <laughs> gifts and and there's such great fabric out there and I know it's always I mean who doesn't need a little zipper pouch and mm-hmm. it's someone's passion to make them and they're you know usually quite affordable and really lovely and you know so that's just something where I think yeah, if I ever had to quit clay, I'd probably start making fabric <laughs> zipper pouches. Because <laughs> I love you've got a backup sew. plan. I love to sew. Yeah, but me and twenty million other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'd I'd try to sell them in the airport shops or something. Yeah, yeah. Put, have like Arizona themed fabrics. Exactly. On there yeah, yeah, just something local, you know, because that's just, <laughs> and I even I do think like that. I think, well, hey, down the road, you know, as I age, I may not want to do the physical labor involved with with mm. clay. You know, should I start studying uh, silversmithing or something, or yeah, yeah. or whatever? But I think the fabric pouch thing is probably going to be my first choice. Look out for it in 20 years' time. It's going to be (laughs) Seaton and Holtz fabric pouches. (laughs) I love that the whole crafting movement has come along the way it has in the last, you know, Mm -hmm. dozen years. 
And Etsy really yeah. was a big part of that. Well, this is very interesting to me because I only came into it in 2008. So, and Etsy was my gateway into selling craft. Like I've, I did not plan on doing this for a living. Like it totally came out of left field for me. Whereas for you, you were already in that world and you've seen that change and that evolution mm-hmm. of, of the, the, has it, do you think it has made it significantly easier for people to make a living? Oh, craft? I think so for sure. Yeah. Because um, one of the things I realized early on on Etsy is people would sort of recreate on shopping online. They would they would mm. browse. You know, that's what we used to make those. Um, what were they called? Treasuries. The treasuries. Treasuries. Oh, people would yes. make treasuries, and anyone could make them. You know, you didn't have to be a seller to make them. So mm. buyers were sort of spending their. Um, evenings or their recreational time you know just sitting there curating these treasuries of products that they found online like look this this amazing jewelry this potter this quilter this knitter and they would Mm. curate these treasuries of work that they loved and and imagery that worked well together i mean they put a lot of passion into it and a lot of these people were just buyers they were not sellers Mm. and i thought these people these people exist these people who are passionate about this stuff exist and they want to connect with us makers mm. and that was i was so sad when they took those away i think that was such a good idea it was so charming i mean <laughs> i'm sure at some point it just got to be unwieldy because there were millions and millions of people making them and mm. they were never you know it wasn't like in 2008 you know where there were only a, a few thousand etsians you know yeah um but it was the thing that i really realized after having my shop was how much folks would come in and want to talk to me while i was working they're mm-hmm. like we want to meet the artist well that didn't change just being online people had to discover different ways to connect and so the treasuries was one way and blogger you know blogging comments mm-hmm. was another that was another thing and then oh. And then, that of was course, so yeah, it was. And then, of course, now we have Instagram. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. You know, I mean, that <laughs> is like taking the whole thing to a new level, I think. Yeah. Um, people are making bank. How, how important is Instagram to your business? To the 50% that is not wholesale, it is very, very, very important because mm-hmm. it is my direct contact to collectors and it's my it's the imagery that I end up putting up on Pinterest as well and um, there's a certain energy of it that I'm I'm getting more understanding about the way people want to relate to artisans you know other artisans you know cross marketing to each other and then just buyers and collectors and for me there's there's a demographic of women in my age range. I'm 52 and they're a little older than me, a lot of them. And they were there during that other era when they had to go to Mm -hmm. art shows or to galleries. And they're now realizing that they can still connect with artisans directly and get that joy. um, And per, and they have, they have, you know, they're financially stable. They can spend money when they want to. And so I've made some really wonderful friends with, uh, mostly it's women. I do have a few guy collectors that that I, you know, chat with regularly, but mostly it's women. Mm. And that has been a surprisingly consistent benefit that it's like, it feeds your soul. You know, it's not just, sit, mm-hmm. you're just not sitting at a computer, not interacting with anyone. 
you know, I'm really into it. There's, you know, yeah. DMs all day long, you know, <laughs> story, <laughs> story commenting. And, you know, it's, it's been um, something that I had to come around to realizing how much of my energy I could put into it and also have it enhance my business. Right. But now I'm at a point, and I'm not. I'm not a big Instagram account. I don't even have twenty thousand followers. So, mm. but for the last year, I've been really enjoying it and expressing myself as vulnerably or weird, goofy. You know, <laughs> my silly, my silliness um, in stories and stuff. And it's it's just been wonderful. And I, I uh, my shop updates are doing really well right now and I'm making more involved work. That's a lot more time consuming, but people are valuing it. And so it's feeling really good. So it's been kind of a, kind of a co-creative thing too. Yeah. Do you want to learn how to sell more online? I have a free video workshop just for you. It's called the 10 essential keys to successfully sell handmade products online. And it'll take you through the absolute key factors that will help you to unlock the door of successful online selling to get access to it right now for free. Head on over to createandthrive.com forward slash 10. That's createandthrive.com forward slash one zero. Well, now that's interesting. I want to talk about this because this is a this is a fascinating thing about the ceramics community is this whole shop update thing. So rather than necessarily always having reproducible products, you make a batch of products then list them for sale. Right. Um, is that the main way that you work at the moment because you're also talking about collectors. So you've been in business long enough now to have actually curated a community of people who do collect your work. So how does that all go into your process of planning and making well in the last so most of 2019 i was experimenting with different creative processes because mm -hmm. what i had been selling on my own direct retail on etsy was repeatable work it was yep. you know here's my bright orange mugs here's my blue mugs here's my yarn bowls and garlic graters and i decided to just sort of play around with different um different techniques, you know, try some new glaze stuff and interact with people and see what people responded to and thought, you know, this will be a good creative experiment for me while I'm cranking out all this wholesale on the other side, you know, it was just mm -hmm. producing and boxing up all this stuff. And so in the year that I was doing that, I fine tuned the body of work that I'm now working on, you know, the stripey images that mm. you see a lot. Uh, almost all of what I'm doing right now on Instagram is this style um, of sort of glazed panels. And I've been really, f people are asking me, you know, like, when's your next update going to be? And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep mm -hmm. working in this direction, just keep sharing. And when I have a, enough pieces, you know, to, mm -hmm. to collect, have a, a sale, I'll do a sale. And that's been, um, that's been how I've been doing it. And I eventually think, well, at some point I'm going to start restocking the Etsy stop, shop with the, you know, the blue mugs and the orange mugs and all that. But I just haven't, I've been putting too much time and energy into this one of a kind stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun for me. You know, it's, I don't have to depend on it. It's not the whole way I make my living, but it's a kind of more energizing side of the business. 
And and do you think that that comes across to people as well, like the passion? For- I think so because I do get really mm. excited. <laughs> I'm, <kind of laughs> I'm I just yeah I do have a lot of I'm I'm generally a very upbeat person. Luckily, I'm very I'm blessed mm. with a, a good nature, you know, optimistic person. So when I'm excited about my work and I start talking about it and I, I try to photograph it in a way that is, you know, dynamic and interesting and, mm. and then people engage with that and they, they, they're like, you are having fun, aren't you? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm having fun. I'm really having fun. <laughs> and I think that, I think it shows in the work too. I think people dig that. So mm. it's, it's not for everyone. You know, I put myself out there. It took me a while to sort of learn how to be comfortable you know, because back when I used to blog in the late, you know, what is 20, 2008, whatever, I, mm. I had to really, you know, steal myself to hit publish, you know, because it was so vulnerable to say things and feel things and shoot pictures and whatever. And now, you know, Instagram is basically like blogging every time you um, post something. Mm. So I've just become more accustomed to just being me and putting my thoughts and feelings along with my photos along with my work and that that was a there was a learning curve to that experience as well it's not easy for everyone to do that and i think a lot of people my generation find it more and and older than me find it very challenging Mm. too young because you didn't we didn't grow up with it right yeah no and Mm. and so i just kind of forced myself (laughs) to (laughs) to do it and figure well no some people are gonna not like me and my stuff and that's okay Mm. because and that's a really important thing to remember that it's okay that not everybody likes you like that's the point you you want to find those people who love you yeah and the and if you're not out there the people who do connect won't find you so Mm. just put it out there you know yeah (laughs) have you struggled over the years with losing passion for your work at any stage? No. <laughs> <laughs> I literally fall asleep and wake up with thoughts of things to make in my head. And I, yeah, I keep a journey. Awesome. Yeah, I I am very, very blessed with that one. I Because, you know, cranking out product to pay the bills has mm. been what I've been doing, especially, you know, 20 years ago. And now I think, yeah, that's, that's not the most exciting thing creatively, but having this other side of things to work on um, that mm-hmm. is really exciting and it's pretty limitless. It feels limitless to me now. Um, so I'm looking forward to working all the time. But mm-hmm. I, I can almost relate to folks. I, I know a lot of potters are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what places to do. And, and I think, yeah, I don't have that problem. I... <laughs> if I could, I would be I would be testing new glazes every week if I had the time, you know, to just mm. test more glazes and mix more glazes and see how they worked on different clays. And that's not everyone's passion, you know. Mm. A lot of people just like to purchase commercial glazes and kind of know what they're going to get and, you know, have more predictable ceramics adventure. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. like, no, and try things that nobody else can do. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> 
So, okay, so you, you know, you dream pottery. Um, what, what else do you do in your life? Like, are, are you, are you the obsessive I work from when I wake up to when I go to sleep, or have you got a bit more balance going on, or I would, other things? I that wouldn't you do? say that it's balanced. I mean, at at this point, you know, my son is off at school; he's not living at home with me, and I am single. I mean, I, I have a sweetie, but he doesn't live with me, and so mm-hmm. my time is really my own, and. Uh, that is also a blessing to have that time. So what I do mostly is um, I have I swim. You know, I that's my fitness thing that I do. So me too. I love swimming. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I'm not a big swimmer, but I, I, you know, I'll swim three days a week in the mornings mm-hmm. usually, and I also do ecstatic dance. I don't know if you know what that is. Um, it's kind of I like, can I can intent I can sort of figure out what it is <laughs> from the name. It sounds fun. It's super fun. It's um, and there there's groups. You know, there in the, in the town and in, in Santa Fe. You know, an hour away, you could you could go to ecstatic dance every night of the week here in Albuquerque. <laughs> um, there are I think three or four. There's I think three nights a week, and then sat Sunday mornings. So that's another thing I hit regularly, at least once a week. And I'm learning to play guitar, and I'm part of a little uh, singing group, you know, a group of women who just harmonize together. And uh, what else do I have? Well, I, you know, I go to Tucson to visit my son here and there. But I'm, mm. I'm not a total workaholic, but I would say work-related activities, either photographing or working in the studio, take up most of my time. Right. For sure, yeah. And I guess, you know, that's, it sounds like you have a lot of other, a lot of other hobbies and things as well. Yeah. Creative hobbies and, and things as well that kind of probably all feed each other. Yeah, totally. I mean, if, if I wasn't going to dance, I'm sure, I don't know what I'd be doing. Cause that's, that's almost, that's <laughs> like a spirit. It's, it's kind of a spiritual practice actually. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really know what to expect every time I go, depending on the group, depending on the facilitator, you know, it, it's, it's not just going to a club, you know, and drinking and dancing. It's more like in a yoga studio kind of environment and, or a dance studio. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So let's talk um, a little bit more. I, I'm curious about the marketing side of things. Now you were talking earlier about Etsy um, and that, you know, your stuff fell down the SEO rabbit hole, which makes me think that that was where the majority of your customers was coming from was search, yep. which is the same for me. Like my whole Etsy career search has been like the, you know, 80 to 90% of my customers have come from that. Um, so has that changed and what is your kind of best marketing channel nowadays? Well, for retail, it's Instagram and Facebook, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. So I'm no longer listing product regularly on Etsy. I'm only doing shop updates. And right. so I'm basically driving people to those shop updates through social media. So I haven't done, you know, I haven't purchased any Google ads or anything like that, mm-hmm. which I'm already pretty busy. <laughs> so <I don't> <laughs> and how do you, with your wholesale, like do you do trade shows or do you just Mm-mm. sort of contact people or do they contact you? I like get, how I get contacted from folks. Okay, so I moved from Arizona to New Mexico in 2016 and two, my two main shops in Arizona 
three actually said, you know, you're still going to ship to us, aren't you? And I, I thought, yeah, of course, <laughs> if you still think you can sell, even though I'm not a local to the area artisan. Um, so I've, I've kept those three retailers. And then um, I have the local airport retail here in Albuquerque. And I'm just starting with a new local gift gallery here. Uh, mm-hmm. That'll be, I'm going to do my first delivery to them, I think, early March. And then I have a couple shops. Uh, I have one shop up in Taos. And random folks for, who've discovered me on Etsy do con- or Instagram contact me who own shops elsewhere in the country. But I'm, I'm putting them all on hold right now because I don't think I can handle any more. Um, I want to keep the business to comfortable enough for me to do it by myself without having to employ someone and having their income depend on me. Right. Yep. And maybe do seasonal help here and there. So I'm, I'm kind of just trying to see if I can keep this going the way I'm doing it, where I'm kind of doing it all and not, Mm -hmm. not burn myself out and yet still earn enough that I'm comfortable, you know, making my living that way. Because I get a little worried about having to keep somebody employed. Yes. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I never hired people either. It's like, well, I like to be able to close my shop for three months and go hot traveling. So right. that's not going to really work. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I employ my husband, but, you know, he comes with me. So that's not a problem. Right. Um, that's different. Yeah. The partners are different. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, – I want to ask you um, – what is your plan for the future? Like, where do you see yourself five, ten years? I mean, we've talked about the zipper pouches in, in at some stage, but you know, uh, the future of your current business. Where do you see yourself going with it? You know, I mean, I really couldn't tell you because um, I can't picture it being different. I don't know. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Like I just said, I don't really want to say, oh, yeah, I'm never going to hire anyone. But I also am like, no, I kind of like it the way it is. So maybe the products will change. I'll probably have some new creative ideas. Um, and, I'll, you know, I don't know how long social media will be in its the form that it's in. So I don't really want to mm. depend so much on that. Um, you know, I'd like to have more direct contact through my email subscribers and just keep yeah keep making what I make and, and seeing who's out there, who's interested in it. Um, and then adapt to whatever that is. Um, because I, I really couldn't even imagine, I can't imagine social media will look too much the same in five years, but I guess five years is short. So maybe, maybe mm-hmm. in 10 years it'll look different, but maybe in five years it'll look sort of the same. I don't know. Cause I would have not imagined I'd be using Instagram as much as I am, you know, five years mm-hmm. ago, I wouldn't have thought that. And I think that's interesting, like we we can make plans and, and have sort of dreams for where we want to be, but exactly how we're going to get there is going to change because of forces outside of your control. Yeah. I mean, I have to, you know, being 52, I do have to think about like aging and my retirement and all that. So mm. I'm not I'm not someone who's got like this big fund waiting for me to just start tapping into it. So I don't imagine I will ever quit and retire. I just imagine I'll keep going in different forms and try to adapt and just keep, keep doing, you know, what I'm doing in whatever form works. If that means Mm. I don't think I'll ever open a shop again. That was too, Mm. too much of a commitment. 
you know, I like the freedom thing too much. But maybe do gallery gallery shows now and then or the occasional pop up. You know, we have markets here that I could see doing mm. seasonal markets maybe. But yeah. I haven't done them yet, so I don't know. I just don't <laughs> we know. We shall see. Yeah, I just don't know. Do you have a standout piece of advice for fellow makers about running a successful creative business? Ooh. Um you know, one thing that people, I think people don't realize is as important as it is, is but photography, I think, is really important to mm-hmm. whatever your creative work is. If you are, I mean, unless you're only going to be selling in person. So when I was researching retailers, I was sending emails out and that had photography on it, you know, so... Um, and you, you know, I think it's really important for everyone to at least be sort of aware how to use social media for their work if they're not already getting as much business as they want. Um, so you have to kind of, you can't sta- sort of calcify into one mode and think that's going to be it for the turn for your whole career. Like you have to be willing mm. to, to learn about social media, to learn about photography, to learn about wholesaling or different shows or you know, just sort of keep your mind open to how how this business can function because things are going to change. They just are. Mm-hmm. The only constant is change. Right? It, it's, <laughs> it's, and, and that's good to, it's good advice in life, you know, about everything, about, ra- mm-hmm. you know, raising children or how you, how you handle your finances or, you know, different relationships and family members and whatever, you know, just be open and flexible, keep your mind open um, to how you can do things going forward, maybe not look like how they were in the past. I love that. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Life advice, man. Yeah, it's true. I mean, but that's the thing about it, like business advice, life advice, they're often very similar. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, and the two things aren't separate. Some people just don't like business at all. And, mm. you know, I think you kind of have to know yourself to, to say, you know, why am I getting into this? You know, am I getting into it to make some money or am I getting into it just for the creative outlet? And just knowing the answer to that is, is huge. Yeah, because if you're just getting into it, I say this all the time to people, like people make something and then someone says, oh, you should sell that. And they're like, yeah, maybe I should sell it. And then they try to sell it and then it doesn't work or they get frustrated and then they throw it all away because it's 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 too stressful. And I'm like, but did you really want to be selling it? Right, right. It do, you, don't, <laughs> you don't have to be in business to, you know, enjoy your creativity. You know, there's like I make I, I've started learning guitar a couple of years ago. I mean, I would never think of myself as a musician, even if I had started mm. 20 years ago, like as a career. But I'd literally do it just for the joy of doing it. And I would never think of monetizing it. Mm. So, yeah, indeed. So <laughs> those listening, if you're listening and that sounds Oh, what am I doing? Yeah, can take that, take that feeling and run with it it's, and think about it. It's a little okay more. to do things <laughs> not for business. I mean, I think there's there's yeah. a famous Kurt Vonnegut quote around making art just for the sake of making it. I mm. I can't find that quote right now, but 
if I find it, I'll have I'll have you post it up on your blog. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> Speaking of quartz, did you bring a quartz? I did actually. I um, I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of Big Magic. I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with Elizabeth. Oh my God. Look, if I be- I don't believe in the universe telling me things, but if I did, I'd believe it's telling me to read that book because you're like the third person in about two weeks who's like, this book being magic. And I'm like, I have not read it. <laughs> I really should read it. It's on my list. <laughs> it's it, Well, it will challenge your belief around the universe telling you things. and <laughs> But there's a lot of real experiential um, anecdotal stories that she tells in that book that might just blow your mind about the synchronicities and the connections of of the creative process and mm-hmm. um so the quote that she said in that book that kind of stuck with me is that ideas are driven by a single impulse to be made manifest and that's the end of the quote and and I realized that, you know, like I said, I do go to sleep thinking of, you know, visioning things and I wake up in the morning and sometimes things come to me and I go, oh my gosh, I would have never thought of that. Where did that come from? You know, and I'll, I'll sketch it down in my book. And I've just been doing this long enough to know when to pay attention. And mm-hmm. so reading that book was a, constantly me yelling out loud, you know, <laughs> Yes! Oh my God! Yes! Yes! That's so true. That's been my experience, you know, in many ways. And mm. there's a bigger sort of energetic web that connects things that I, you know, people have different names for it. And so I feel like we do sometimes really connect more deeply through creative work. And the, the work, the ideas itself are somehow alive. And mm. she really talks about that. And like I said, they want to be made manifest. They're like, will you build me? Okay, I'll build you, you know, and <laughs> will you make me? And I think that's, you know, because I do have collectors and I have people who write to me and they say, you made my favorite mug or, you, you know, my daughter was grieving and she had your mug mm. while she was staying with us and she loved it. So, and I think, really? Oh my God. You know, and now it's been happening for many years that occasionally Mm -hmm. I get these messages from people and I think, wow, there's a, there's a deeper thing going on here. And it's, it's Mm -hmm. so fills my heart with, you know, joy and warmth to know that. So that, that book had a big impact for sure. Mm -hmm. So maybe you'll get around I'll, to reading it while you're traveling or something, and you'll. you'll... I will. <laughs> I, I have a long list of nonfiction books to read, but I'm that one's definitely inching yeah, higher. Up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like you could just pick it up and read a chapter at a time. You know, you don't have yeah, to go yeah. from beginning to end. So anyway, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. Um, I love this idea of the the power of objects, like the the meaning that we attach to them and the you know okay. it's this weird thing that I try not to be too sentimental about stuff because it's stuff but at the same time there are certain objects in our lives that just have such a resonance because of the history of them or the meaning mm-hmm. of them I mean I make I make you know we make re- wedding rings so that's yeah. kind of a no-brainer object that has a lot of meaning to it um and resonance to it and that you know you hope that some of your work might live on you know beyond you and and be passed down through the generations and and things like that and uh, there's something to that I think oh for sure absolutely 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, where can people best find your beautiful work? Well, honestly, at the moment, I don't have a website of my own. So um, see Tenenholtz Ceramics on Instagram is probably the easiest way to see the most recent work. And um, it's on Facebook, it's still Red Hot Pottery because they haven't let me change it. I have to appeal making the change. Mm. And the same with in, uh, the same with Etsy. I'm going to keep Red Hot Pottery Shop on Etsy um, just because it, it's free to keep it open. You know, basically, I don't have to host it. And that way, people who've been collecting over time can always find me there. They can reach out through there. Now, we talked about this right at the beginning, but why did you change your name? I started Red Hot Pottery was the name of my shop that I opened in Sedona in 2004. And then when I closed it and went online, I kept that name as my Etsy name. And then after I moved away from Arizona and, and Etsy changed for me, I had been sort of nursing along this feeling of like, yeah, I don't really relate to the, the name Red Hot Pottery anymore. So I'm not sure what to do about that. And in the fall, this past 2019, I just thought, you know, I should just sort of operate under my own name and not be mm -hmm. like a pottery shop the way that I used yeah. to because I'm just feeling like things are changing. And I, other than that, I don't have a real definitive answer. But I, I felt like, you know, I'm just going to keep my name as my online identity but then strangely i found out facebook wouldn't let me change it um <laughs> well i have to appeal i think they will but i have to do this kind of mm. you know appealing and, and linking them things i just haven't gotten around to doing it um because then it'll be a different name than the the etsy page that was their problem do you feel from an outsider's perspective and i don't know if this is the same on the inside do you feel like it's almost a shift away from being a crafter to being an artist I don't know. <laughs> Probably, but I don't feel like I don't feel like a fine artist, you know, like a painter yeah, or something. Yeah. Um, and I know there are there are people doing ceramic arts as fine art. And so wow. I don't feel like I'm in that camp at all. But there is some sort of strange and interesting satisfaction that I get from having it be my name. And I didn't real I didn't even realize I would be feeling that way every time I see my name like that, because um, I created a new stamp for the bottom of my pieces that doesn't say Red Hot Pottery anymore. It says Christine Tenenholtz, and I love it. I love the way it looks, and it, it just this sort of surprised me how much satisfaction I'm getting from using my name right now. Mm. So maybe it has something to do with. Uh, artisan versus artist or crafter versus artist. I don't know, mm. um, but it feels right at the moment. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just part of the ongoing evolution. Yeah. And I'm glad I honored it because I was, it was quite terrifying. Mm. Like I, I got kind of ill the day that I, <laughs> I shared about it on Instagram. I got kind of sick. I had to lay down. It was weird. Like an energetic shift, like almost on a metaphysical, mm. I don't know. I don't know what was going on. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I'm so glad I reached out. Um, just to, to round out the whole story, to, um, I actually bought these cute little birds from Chris in 2010. 
on Etsy. Um, when I was going through my ceramic bird collection phase, because I go through phases of collecting things, and uh, they're, they're literally in my, I can look at them right now, they're sitting on my shelf, my uh, ceramic bird shelf across the room there, and they're so adorable. And somehow I've just kept, like I must have followed you on Instagram or something, and I've just kept you in my radar, and then suddenly you're popping up, and I'm like, I want to talk to this lady, so I'm so glad I did. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm really glad you did too. I'm I'm honored that you reached out and I'm also really honored that you purchased from me all those years ago and you still have your purchases <laughs> I loved making those birds at the time <laughs> I really did yeah yeah and I they were just yeah they're adorable and I, I love them and uh, so thank you for mm-hmm. that and thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story with us today I'm sure everybody listening has very much enjoyed it oh thank you so much I have a whole bunch more interviews coming your way over the coming months, as well as solo shows, of course, uh, both here on the podcast and on my YouTube channel, which you can just search Jess Vanden on YouTube to find that. Uh, those of you who are members of the Thriver Circle, or if you're going to be joining us soon, just a little heads up. I've actually increased our live chat to weekly for the foreseeable future, because I think more than ever before, we really need an opportunity to connect with each other and support and communicate with each other so you know we were having live text chats once a month then we also have the live workshop and the live call but I've upped the frequency of the live text chats to one per week in the hope that it gives you the opportunity to you know reach out and chat with each other and me and you know I'm there for every live chat as well and the times are rotating so they're starting from like really early in the morning my time to later in the evening my time moving through the day every week so that no matter where you are in the world hopefully you'll be able to make it to at least one or two of those live chats a month uh it's a tiny thing but I feel like we all need to be stepping up and doing what we can to help and connect with and support each other during this very difficult time in history uh that's probably only going to get more difficult for the foreseeable future uh before we get through this this pandemic so yeah if you're in the circle please do come and take advantage of that Uh, I'm putting the events up probably a couple of weeks ahead in the event tab so you will get an invitation on Facebook to join us for that Uh, but just keep an eye on that and I hope you can come in and you know find a bit of solace and a bit of support in our community because that is what the Thriver Circle is all about and of course for those of you who have been laid off or you know can't work or are stuck at home and really are like okay well I could freak out (laughs) Um, or I could focus on trying to work on my business and there's nothing wrong with doing a little bit of both let's be honest right now come on in take advantage of the resources in the Thriver Circle Uh, there's so much there to help you and uh, start the Your Year to Thrive course start building that business so that when things do go back to normal you will be absolutely in the best place you can possibly be to grow that business that you've been dreaming of Uh, thrivercircle.com if you want to join us if you haven't already thank you so much to every single member of the circle for being there without the thriver circle and the support of the members there now obviously most people in the circle aren't joining to support this podcast but without the Thriver Circle and the members of the Thriver Circle. I could not afford to do this podcast because, as you know, I don't run ads on here. Uh, I only promote the Circle and my own, you know, courses and programs, which is a very deliberate choice because I don't want to be harassing you with 
random advertising. Uh, so, yeah, the Thriver Circle is the reason this podcast exists. So thank you so much to every single member, past, present and future, who make this podcast possible so I can bring this free content to people every single week. Thank you so much, everybody. Look out for yourselves, look out for each other. And uh, I'll be back again next week with another episode to help you grow your handmade business. Bye for now.